0: Honestly, I cannot believe I'm about to show you a couple pictures. Um, these are from more than a few years ago, uh, from my perspective, 10 or 15 years ago. And these are the pictures that Maddie always makes fun of me, fun of me for. Maddie's my wife. And we were just talking the other night. She was like, Do you remember that picture that you took at Target Field at the Twins game and how embarrassing it is? And so, as we talk about our true self, false self, finding our true selves, I want to show you. This is me in the Hollister shirt when I was, I think, 15, maybe. This is your pastor today. I used to wear a backwards, not just backwards, but backwards and crooked hat. I thought I was so punk rock at the same time I wore a Hollister. right? I feel like one of the preppiest brands ever. I'm going to show you another one too. This one might be even more embarrassing. So <laughs> my buddy and I... I just want to make it clear too, we're trying to be goofy in this picture. We're trying to be a little bit ridiculous. But my buddy and I, we used to purposely match all the time. We would go to Target, we'd go to Coles, and we would buy the same t-shirts because we thought it was hilarious to walk around and match. And then we would take pictures. Anytime somebody wanted to take a picture of us, we would bend over like this and snap. Just to be weird. And it's so embarrassing looking back at it now, because like at the time I thought it was so funny, and now I'm like, what was I doing? But isn't this so true for, for all of us? I mean, if you look back at your life 10, 20, 30 years ago, I mean, you probably cringe a little bit at the clothes that you wore or like the hairstyles. You can take the picture down now. <laughs> it's it's distracting me. But you probably look back at yourself and you're like, oh my goodness, I am, I'm embarrassed about who I was. Like for me, when I was in college about 10 years ago, I used to be in mosh pits. Today, I wear Patagonia, right? We all kind of change over the course of the years. Maybe you had a mullet. That's not really embarrassing. That's pretty cool, actually. But maybe you wore parachute pants. We all change over the years. And Maddie and I were talking about this about six months ago. And she was talking about it. She was like, I just cannot believe I used to act the way that I acted. And she's like, I can't believe you used to wear the hats that you wore. I'm like, I know. But here's what we talked about, though, too. I was like, you know, if we don't look back at ourselves 10, 20, 30 years ago, if we, if we don't cringe a little bit, if we don't get a little bit embarrassed... I think that means that we didn't grow very much or we didn't change enough. Like it's it's good, it's awkward to look back at who we used to be. But at the same time, it's a good thing to recognize, hey, I'm different than I used to be. Not only am I changing with the times, but I'm a totally different person. You know, I think back to who I was when I took that picture in the in the backwards hat at Target Field. You know, I may have looked like a a clean cut, nice kid with a backwards, stupid hat, but I may have looked pretty normal. My life was very, very broken in that stage of my life. In fact, I just want to clue you in on who the person was that I was standing with. That was my baseball coach. And I I have his permission to share this over the years um, because he is now saved as well. And that's a good thing. But that was my baseball coach in the summer. And what we used to do together is we used to drink every single weekend and we used to smoke weed together. I have a, many of you know this if you've been in New Hope for a while, I have a whole past and my teenage years were filled with weed and with drinking and with taking pills so I could get through English class. Like that was my past before I knew Jesus. And I look back at that and in some sense, I hate it. In some sense, I'm so frustrated that I chose to make those decisions. At the same time, When Jesus came into my life, something fundamentally changed about who I was. We're talking about in this series, we're wrapping up today, our true selves and trying to find our true self. And when we find our true self, it is marked by who we are now in Christ. It's not who we used to be before we knew Jesus. It's who we are today. And when I got saved at age 16, something fundamentally changed in my life. And what changed in my life was not only the decisions that I started making and how I changed my lifestyle, but I recognized this great truth, and it comes from 1 John 3.1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. What is our true identity according to Jesus, according to our Father God, according to Scripture? We are children of God. And that happens When we become followers of Christ, we become adopted as his son or daughter into a a relationship with him. And when that happens, not only does our identity change, but our actions change with it. You know, I think of who I was before I knew Jesus and who I am today. And what i realized about my faith in that whole process is that a lot of times we define Christianity or we define maybe religion as here's what you don't do, here's what you do do, and here's what you can't do, here's what's off limits. And I'll be very honest, Christianity is it's a moral religion, right? God has called us to be moral people and to do moral things. But if we stop our Christianity, if we stop our faith at just following the rules— We're going to miss out on so much of what our faith means in its entirety. And so my lifestyle changed in a moment. No longer was I smoking weed. No longer was I getting drunk on the weekends. No longer was I popping pills before English class so I could just get through it. But when I realized that I was going to start following Jesus, for me, that meant I have to start following Jesus. Not only does that mean I got to play by the rules, but here's why. Here's why we change our lifestyle when it comes to following Jesus when we become Christians. It's because we are fundamentally different people. We are fundamentally different people. We stay sober-minded, not just because God wants us to and that's the rule. We stay sober-minded because that is who God has called and created us to be. We avoid pornography, we avoid drugs, we avoid lying and cheating and stealing. We avoid all these these things, not just because we shouldn't do them, although we shouldn't, but because this is not who we were called to be. We were called to a greater purpose and a greater plan, and that all stems from our identity. We are children of God, loved by our Father. And so this is the core of our faith, and this is the starting point. And what Jesus called us to do in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, is he called us to die to ourselves. Now, before we're Christians, before we're saved, we come with all of this baggage. For me, it was drugs and alcohol and insecurities and so many sin struggles that I don't even have time to name. Right? I have 22 minutes left. We run out of time. But when Jesus says, Come to me and die to yourself so that you can live in Christ. What he's saying is that we have to put off the sins of our past. We have to put off the lifestyle that we're living that doesn't glorify God, that is defined as sin. And you might say, well, I don't want to leave those things. Those things are fun or these things keep me secure. These things, I feel like I'm safe when I do these things. But the call of Christ The call of Jesus on our lives is to step into our identity and live that out. And so here's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to go into 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And there's a short story of how he gave us the perfect example of how to live in our true selves. But as we wrap up our series today, if you haven't been here maybe over the past couple weeks, I want to define what we're talking about. What we're doing is we're pitting against we're putting our true self in Christ against our false self. And here's the definition of our true of our false self. I'll go the false self first. The false self is pretending, consciously or unconsciously, to be somebody that you are not. So this involves being insecure, falling into sinful patterns in life that you know are sinful, but you do them anyways. But the true self. This is our goal. This is the true self. The true self is who you are in Christ. You are created in God's image, that's Genesis 127, to do good works and to flourish in a relationship with God. And we do that because we are loved by our Father and we are adopted as sons or daughters into a relationship with Him. That's where our true self starts. And so here's the big idea for today. The big idea is that in this journey of knowing God and finding our true selves, there is always an outward calling to use the gifts that he has for us in the life that he has called us to live. And what that means is that once we know who we truly are in Christ, life no longer becomes about us and what we want and our desires and our will. No, Jesus says, die to yourself and live for me. And so Our call as Christians now is to know our true self, but then to use the gifts and the purpose that God has given us in service in his kingdom and for other people. Meaning, your life is not about you anymore. It's about others, and it's about God. And I want you to see how the Apostle Paul lives this out. So in in 2 Corinthians chapter 10... We're going to read about 10 verses or so, and and here's what it says. It'll be up on the screen for you if you don't have your Bible, but you can follow along. It says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face-to-face with you, but bold towards you when away, we do not desire to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not being wise. We, however, we will not boast beyond proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the, fear, to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us. A sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by other people. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. That's who's approved. Now, this might seem a little bit random, but here's what Paul is talking about. Here's the context of the situation. You might notice in the very first verse that I read that Paul put quotes He put in quotes, timid and bold. Now, why he did that is because this church, this Corinthian church, they were getting a little bit frustrated. Because how many of you, you like to take constructive criticism? You like to take feedback in your life. It's not very easy, is it? But this is the Apostle Paul's job. As an apostle, He has spiritual authority over multiple churches. He's not a pastor. He's basically a pastor to pastors. He goes from church to church, and he writes some letters if he can't make it, or he shows up in person, and he encourages them. He encourages the entire church that they need to keep their lives free from sin so they can live holy lives. And if there's any theological things that they need to correct, if there's false teachings within the church, the Apostle Paul comes in as that spiritual authority, And he says, here's where you've gone wrong. Here's what you need to do. But that's a tough thing for people to hear when we're living within that false self, that false self that's full of insecurity, that false self that's full of maybe ego or sin. Because when people give us feedback, sometimes we hate it. We don't want to change. We don't want to make ourselves look like we're the ones in the wrong. But this is sort of the Apostle Paul's job. He comes in to encourage people to live right for God. But what happens is they start razzing him a little bit because they don't like the feedback. Now, in the New Testament, the the New Testament describes the Apostle Paul as a little bit timid or a little bit, when when he's in person, he's not a very imposing man. Right, We probably all know somebody in our lives that walks in the room and maybe they're like 6'5", 270 pounds, and when they walk in the room, it's like, okay, he's here. <laughs> he commends respect just because he's here. I feel that every single day as a 5'9", 155-pound man. Um, I, I feel it. I know that everybody, right? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is not this imposing figure, but he does carry spiritual authority. And so the Corinthian church... They're giving them a hard time because they don't love the feedback. And they're saying, Paul, when you write us letters, you're so aggressive and you're pointed and you're very very aggressive in your speech and you're very strong and you act very secure and confident, like you know what you're talking about. But when you come in person, you're sort of this frail guy who backs off a little bit. And this reminds me of our Cambridge I community Facebook page, honestly, (laughs) I think that there, we, have a, we have a lot of keyboard warriors in our community, and every community does. Right? If you've been on the Facebook page before, I mean, people yell at each other. They're rude to each other. They type crazy things in the comments on certain posts. But in person, we're all like, oh, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. We, don't, we don't share opinions anymore because we feel a lot of confidence behind a keyboard because we feel more anonymous. And this is what the church is accusing Paul of doing. Now, whether or not they're right or not, that isn't isn't the problem. The problem is we so often tend to act out of this false self, this false self that's full of ego, this false self that's full of insecurity, this false self that refuses to take feedback, especially when it comes to to our own faith. You know, when it comes to church, our job as a church isn't just to come and sing songs and to hear a sermon. Our job is to live in discipleship, and discipleship means that you're meeting with people, that you're doing life together, and there's an open feedback loop where if somebody sees sin in your life, and you trust this person, you love this person, they see sin in your life, they can call you out for it. And you can call them out for it. And what's the purpose of it? The purpose isn't just to to give each other a little bit of crap. The purpose is to help each other grow in our faith. This is what Paul talks about in this passage. He wishes for them to grow in their faith beyond where they are today. And this is the purpose of the church. But so often when we're not willing to take that sort of feedback, it's a sign that we're living within this false self, within this ego-driven and so this is where Paul lands with the church and so he writes them back I'll be honest it's a little bit aggressive putting timid in quotes and bold in quotes it's a little bit maybe passive aggressive but what he's doing as an apostle is he's not taking credit for being this big strong man he's not taking credit for other people's work and we see this in this passage he's not even taking credit for God's work And that's what's so difficult, I think, for Christians sometimes to understand. Is that as Christians, we need to realize that when we see people saved or baptized or we see transformation, even in our own lives, it's so easy to to give ourselves credit for doing that work. But Paul's saying, hey, for those who want to boast, we don't boast. The only boasting that we do is in the Lord. See, what Paul is revealing to us about who he is, that not only does he understand His identity, but he understands how to live that out within his calling. What is Paul's calling? He's an apostle. Like I said, he's the spiritual authority over all of these churches that have been planted in the Middle East. This is his job. Before Paul be- became a Christian, he was one of those righteous Pharisees that was making sure everybody followed the rules. And he was, he was rich, he was wealthy, he was powerful, and he was persecuting Christians. But when he became a follower of Jesus, his entire life changed. No longer did he care about his status. No longer did he care about his religious power or his wealth. But his, total, his life did a total 180 degree change where he went from persecuting Christians to now being an apostle over these churches. And I guarantee you that if you were to talk to Paul back in his day, his initial response would be, I don't know if this is for me. I don't even know if I want to do this. I mean, how many times in your own life have you felt like God is maybe nudging you towards something or God is calling you to do something? And maybe it's specific or maybe it's sort of generalized, but God is moving you in a certain direction and you're thinking, that's great, but I don't know about that. (laughs) I mean, how many times, for those of you who live in a neighborhood, I know we got a lot of country people here, so your, your neighbor might be far away, but there's been times in my life in the past two years since i lived in my new house, there's been times where it's like I have sensed God's call, hey, go talk to Brandon, my next-door neighbor. And they're not in church. My other neighbor, he's another pastor, so he tells me I've been praying and working on him for a few years, but now we got two of us, and we're cornering him. That's our goal. But there's been times in my life where I wake up, and I'm in my time of prayer, and today is the day that God tells me, Justin, you need to walk across the street. You need to go talk to Brandon. And I love Brandon. We talk about fishing. We talk about hunting. But there's that next step when it comes to talking about Jesus that God's not calling me to talk about hunting and fishing. God's calling me to talk about Jesus with Brandon. And so we've had some initial conversations, and it's been good. Good. And it's been hard. And I've been working on my whole street a little bit. My neighbor, Darren, I was just talking to him uh, last summer, and he said, what do you do for work? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, all right, see you later. (laughs) Literally, he's like, all right, sounds good. And he walked away from me, like, all right, there's going to be a lot of work here. But this is my call in my neighborhood. And so many times, God calls us to do things. He puts us in this lane where he wants us to work, And our job as Christians is that if we want to continue to obey the call of Jesus, we have to know our true self. We have to know our identity. But when it comes to following Jesus and obeying God's voice, we have to go. And this is why I love the story of the Apostle Paul. When he gets this feedback from the Corinthian church, whether it's right or not, I don't think it is. But when he gets this feedback, they're saying, "You're, you're so bold in your letters, but you're so timid. They're trying to feed off his insecurities. But what he could have done is he could have just snapped. He could have written them and finished this letter with an angry letter, lashing out at them. But Paul is not an ego-driven man. He has learned what it means to die to himself. And that's the key if we want to step into God's calling and purpose in our life. It might not be what we expect it to be. It might not even be what we want to do. And sometimes it is. But how are you dying to yourself so that you can live for the purpose that Christ has called you to live for? Back in 2013, I was a student at the University of Northwestern. And that's where I graduated college. But as I was in my first year of college, my big dream, my big goal was to be a businessman. And I didn't know in what, but all I wanted to do was make some money. And I knew that in business, that's where you can make a lot of money. So I, I had my major in business, and I kept that business major for about two and a half years before I finally switched into ministry. But here's how that switch happened. I was walking down the, down the steps of Nazareth Hall, and I had just come out of, I think it was a quantitative analysis class, which when I say quantitative analysis, I, I just made all of you want to change your major, I think. It's a brutal class. It's all about math and calculating mortgages and calculating the future of what interest rates you're going to do. It is boring. If you're into the finance stuff, good for you. <laughs> God has called you there, not me. But I'm walking out of this class thinking, I don't know if this is for me. And so I'm walking down the steps of Nazareth Hall, and all of a sudden this moment came into my life. This, this Not an audible voice, but what I feel like was God speaking to me saying, get into ministry. I didn't know how, I didn't know where, but I thought, no. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I want to go make some money. I want to go over here. But there was this voice that I felt was speaking clearly to me that was saying, you're not in the right lane. You're not where I want you to be. And so I went back to my dorm room. I prayed about it. I called Mark, one of my ministry mentors, who also happens to be my brother-in-law. I called one of my pastors. And they said, yeah, I could totally see you doing that. And I said, that's not what I want to hear, though. (laughs) But it was how this process started when I realized maybe this life that I have to live isn't about me. Maybe it's not about what do I want to do and what am I passionate about. But maybe God's going to reorient my passions. Maybe God's going to reorient my life so that he can use me for his kingdom. You know, I was just doing the, the funeral of my grandma yesterday. She passed away from dementia. This is the second grandma in my life that has passed away from dementia. And it's been brutal. But she lived, both my grandmas actually lived to be 73 when they passed away. And it's tough. It's tough watching your loved ones go through that. But as I was, I got off the stage after I, I did one of the messages. And I got off the stage and I realized We have such a short amount of time here. And I think we all know that, right? Life is the longest thing that you do, but it also goes by so incredibly fast. And as we've been talking about what it means to live in our true selves, to step into that identity, and then to step into that calling, I want you to hear this. We are missing out on so much of what true life really means if we're not discovering our true self in Christ. But if life is just sort of passing us by and we're just sort of going through the motions and you know, you went to college and all of a sudden now you have a job and also now you have kids and it's like, where have the last 20 years gone? I feel like I haven't made any decisions. Life has just sort of happened to me. And that creates a lot of angst. That creates a lot of anxiety. That creates a lot of depression in so many people's lives. But here's what I want you to know. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how much of life that maybe you feel like you've wasted. Today is the day where you can step into God's identity and calling for your life, just as the Apostle Paul shows us how he did it. And how he did it is he is confident that he is a child of God, and he is confident that he is continually listening to the voice of God and stepping into where God wants him to go, not where we want ourselves to go. And I love when I see this played out in our church. Now, I thought the worship this morning was incredible. Hats off to Ray. Hats off to the rest of the team that was playing. Hats off to Norbert running the sound and Matthew doing the slides. I thought the worship sounded so good. Now, I'm also not a music guy. Every time I come to a staff meeting, I thought, wow, worship was great. People are like, what? It was out of tune or something like that. I'm like, what? I I have no bearing to listening to music. I just think everything sounds good in my ear. But these guys sounded incredible this morning. And the songs that they picked out were great. And what I was thinking about as I was getting ready to come up here was these guys are living within not only their identity, but living within the calling that God has for them. Coming up here and playing guitar for a bunch of people that they might not even know. Coming to lead you in worship because they want to glorify God and help you do the same. But honestly, I think sometimes when we talk about stepping into God's calling for our lives, we automatically think that it's all ministry. That if God has a calling for my life, I must, you know, i probably have to go be a pastor. i probably have to go be a worship leader. That's good for some of us. But if we're all pastors, or if we're all worship leaders, man, the secular world is going to miss out on what God's kingdom should look like. And what I mean by that is you might be sitting here and you might be an accountant. You might work for the government. You might work in a cheese factory, for all I know. And if that's where God has called you to bring his kingdom, to share your faith, to invite people to church, I want you to step into that calling and take it seriously. Be like the Apostle Paul. You don't have to start calling out your coworkers for their sins. That's not what I mean. But Paul is confident in who he is. And his whole mission is to bring God's kingdom everywhere he goes. And that's our calling as well. And so I want you to think about where you're at today. I want you to think about who are the people around you? Where do I work? Where do I live? And ask yourself and ask God. Sit with God in prayer and say, God, what do you have for me? I believe I am your child, so what does that mean? How do you want me to take that and live it out? How do you want me to bring your kingdom to my neighborhood or to my workplace or to my family? Where have you called me to go? And to do this, Pastor John wrote up a great exercise, a great homework assignment that we have for you to do over the next week, and you're going to get that on your way out the door. But here's what it's all about. There's a a little sheet that you're going to get, and it's got a few prompts on there that you can pray through and work through, but here's the big idea behind it. It's writing out a mission statement for your life. Our goal for you over the next week is to figure out what is God's mission for your life so that you can write it down so that you can remember it and live it out. And I'll be honest, this is very hard work to do. But like I said earlier, as I was talking about my grandma's funeral, life is short. Do you want to live within God's calling in the short years that you have here? Or do you want to wander aimlessly trying to figure out what God has for you? If you don't take the time to sit down to pray through and actually work it out, you might never know where you're supposed to go. But here's how we do this we don't have and we don't know our true selves without Jesus, without Christ. The great gift of Jesus that he gave to us through his death and his resurrection and his entering in and ushering in the kingdom of God, we not only get salvation, but we get purpose and identity and calling. And so we're going to close today with communion. And so you can get your elements ready if you have them. But I don't want this this message, I don't want us to walk away this morning just just thinking, what is my purpose? Although that is the big question. I want us to remember who gives us purpose and how we got that purpose. And that purpose and our identity and our calling, it is all rooted in Jesus and his work that he did for us. Not only living this perfect life, but going to the cross and being the sacrifice for our sins and resurrecting from the dead so that we can have freedom from our sins and freedom from God's wrath. And as he ascended into heaven to the right hand of his Father God, it was complete and it was final. Now every single person has access to a relationship with Jesus. Now every single person has access to this identity, this purpose, and this calling. Everything we do is rooted in the body and the blood of Jesus. And so I want to read a scripture, and then we're going to spend just a moment In prayer before we close, and then we can take our elements. But here's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. That is the purpose of communion. We remember the death of Jesus. We remember his body that was broken so that we could have freedom from our sins, so that we could have purpose in our lives. so that we can live out the calling that he has for us. So why don't you spend a moment just in prayer silently with yourself. And if there's sins that you need to confess, if you need to ask God for forgiveness of anything, the scripture teaches us that in order to take communion, we should confess our sins and do it with a pure heart before we take his bread and his his juice. And so why don't you do that for the next minute, and then we'll take communion together. (laughs) Jesus took the bread he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me he took the cup this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this and whenever you drink it in remembrance of me let's pray father we come before you and we are so grateful god that you have changed our lives that we are not who we were before we knew you god we thank you for the transformation the life change that we used to be full of sin and we lord we still sin but we're not identified by our sins anymore we're not stuck in our sins we're not dead in our sins we're alive in you jesus Jesus, because of your death and resurrection on your cross and in the ascension that you had into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, God, you are worthy of glory. And in that, we find freedom and atonement for our sins. But in that, Lord, we find our calling and our purpose and our identity. Father, I pray in this moment that you would speak to us over the next week, that we do this homework assignment, that your voice would be clear, that our mission in life would be clear, that we would know who we are and where we're supposed to go. God, in everything that we do, in our short years that we have here, we want to glorify you, we want to follow you, we want to be obedient to you because you are Savior and you are Lord. Father, speak to us, lead us. You are the Lord, our God. It's in your name I pray. Amen.